All right, welcome to Master and Commander podcast. It's been uh, it's been too long. It's been a whole. It has week. been too. No, it has been. I'll tell you what it has been. It has been two and a half hours of me fucking around because YouTube can eat shit, and they've canceled the way that we normally record this podcast. Correct. We are canceling the YouTube sponsorship. Sorry, YouTube, you're not big enough for us. Yeah, I'm not wearing your t-shirts anymore, you fuckers. Absolutely not. No amount of solid gold toilets will ever be worth it. Well, there is an amount of solid gold toilets that would be worth it, and it's the amount that I would sell to buy all the gear we need to do this, like, legit. <laughs> Legitimately buy a, buy a nice place in California and, and do, it, do it big time. Well, it has been a long time. It's been a full week, but we're back. No need to fret. No, you can dry those tears from your eyes because Master and Commander is back with another amazingly constructed deck and let me say this week's deck is one i am particularly excited about or as mike put it it gave me the biggest magic boner yeah big old big old boner so uh yeah this week is going to be an interesting one i would say it's uh it's got some really weird cards and it's got math math which is exciting always exciting math is, is a ton of fun we're going to be doing a little bit of math with you today, so you can learn you know, some of the, the odds of, uh, of, of, of drawing certain cards and stuff. But we should, uh, we should start off as we always do, which is explaining what exactly we're doing here. And we plan on, just like we do every week, uh, except for the, the, the fight weeks, of course, every fifth week, we plan on taking the three random cards chosen at the end of every single episode and building a deck around them, trying to highlight the intricacies of those cards, maybe using them in ways you didn't think was possible, maybe optimal, uh, and seeing what comes out the other end. It's random and a surprise for us, and we hope it's a surprise for you. And I think some weeks are easier than others, and I think this particular week was an easier one. Oh, yeah, it was Which easy for you because you took my ideas and you just put them in the gold toilet. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't easy for me. That hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'm okay. It It's not how it sounds. Yeah, it's how it sounds. I did that. But it was for the good of the deck. No. Yes. Uh, so. The, uh, uh, <laughs> hey, all I know is that I gave you a deck with a 77% competitive meter and you brought me back a 57%. Okay. Yeah, I made it better. I made I put it more on the casual side. All right, let's get right into the cards. I think we've been hitting at it too uh, too long as it is. This week we've got three cards in particular that we're building around. The first of which, a favorite of mine from draft. I don't know if you've ever drafted with this bad boy, but you get two or three of these bad boys and uh, people die real quick. It's a lot of bad boys. Curse of the Bloody Tome from Innistrad originally. Costs two and a blue. It is an aura curse, so you put it on a player. And it says, at the beginning of Enchanted Player's Upkeep, that player puts the top two cards of his or her library into their graveyard. Right into the poop hole. Right into the pooper. This was this was an odd one, I think, to get just because it lends itself to a mill strategy. Now, this only targets one person. The problem with the curses, you can only really target one person down, and then all of the curses fall off once that player dies. That's when you just use Replenish to bring them all back. And that's when you do things that aren't Narc Colors, but, or man, that, Replenish is so expensive. Yeah, I know. It's crazy how much that thing's gone up. 
a lot of those cards have gotten crazy because they're so niche. Yeah. And uh, it's the fault of EDH players for sure. Probably. Terrible. So we have Curse of the Bloody Tome. Then we have a card I did not know was part of a creature type set. And a Volver. You didn't know about the Volvers? Honestly, I had no idea. I knew that there were creatures like this. Because there's, like, these creatures very much resemble the Battle Mages. Yeah, it's the same, the same block. Yeah, so I, I thought the Battle Mages were a thing, and I thought Anavolver was just, like, an odd one out. Why don't you tell the people about what this what this Volver does for us? Well, there's a whole cycle of Volvers. Anavolver, Degavolver, Rackavolver, and Cedavolver. That's Does that all mean this guy's name is Anna? No, that's just okay. the... That's the... That was, like, the name for the colors way back then. Like, for the wedges, that's what they called them. I thought they were, like, the dragons. No, nah, like, if you look at the, if you look at the, um, whatchamacallit, like, the battle mages, like, Anna Battle Mage and Sita Battle Mage, there's those. And uh-huh. then there is uh, the sanctuaries. So there was five sanctuaries that if you controlled one of the wedge colors, so green and blue, mm-hmm. or green and black, then you would get a, a small, um, you get a small bonus to a thing. So the, the green one, Anna Sanctuary, is if you control a green or blue permanent uh, target creature you control, it gets plus one, plus one till the end of turn. And then if you, if control, you control both, both then five. it would give you plus five, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, no, I remember that card. All right, well, Anna Volver, why don't you let the people know what this brilliant Sultai nowadays card uh, card does? So Anna Volver is one green and three for a three, three, and it has kicker of one blue and one colorless and or black. So you can pay both or just one. If you pay the blue kicker cost, it comes into play with two plus one plus one counters on it. It has flying, so it's a five, five for six. Um, and if you pay the black one, it is uh, comes into the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it and has pay three life to regenerate this thing. So if you pay everything, it is a... Seven mana. Six, it's a seven mana, f- five, five, six, six, seven mana, six, six flyer with uh, pay three life regenerate. It's a big deal. Eh, it's you know, it, these kind of cards are, they always remind me of the era in Magic where, like, Spiritmonger was by far the best card. Oh, so that's that's the same set. Yeah. And so, Spiritmonger was the best card. Because it's it's just a like a house of abilities like that that defined the rock back in the days like you had the original version of the rock which was with um, Frexian Overlord and then like like Frexian Overlord uh, Hermit Druid was like the original rock it's called the Rock and His Millions because the Hermit Druid and then like slowly evolved out of that and now we have just these like super heavy duty creatures and these kind of creatures that are these multi tools big heavy hitters that have weird abilities that make them resilient always remind me of just the old days where instead of trying to, you know, two ships in the night, a format where every deck is just a super fast combo deck that doesn't interact with each other. People were just punching each other to death with creatures who were super hard to kill. Oh yeah. I remember I used to draft in this set. Uh, It's when I first started drafting actually. Like I had played a lot of magic before this, but I really got into drafting in this set. And whenever somebody was, whenever they would get the spirit monger, like that was it. That guy won that night. There was no, and I cracked a foil one out of a pack. 
which I still have. I still have that bad boy. And at the time, it was worth all the money. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's just... It was a simpler time. I like those kind of cards. Nowadays, you know, you couldn't play a card like this in Standard. But Which one, the Volver or Spearmonger? Spearmonger or Volver. I don't think either of them would make, a, make it in. Because, well, like... If you look at the cards that Standard has access to now, like the Cavaliers, especially the new ones, it's like that that's their version of a mid-range card, and they're all like, when it enters the battlefield, do something. When it dies, do something. When you look at your opponent, do something. It's like, chill. You, yeah, but back then, like we didn't have... Back then, we didn't have ETBs, really. Like, there was some, hmm. but not, not the same level that they have now. Well, because, I mean, in Magic's history... Uh, creatures were always much worse than the spells because the design space, the thought was, well, spells are, are temporal and creatures can end the game by themselves. So a card like, um, you know, uh, Ancestral Recall wouldn't have been considered, oh, this is super broken because, well, you draw three cards, but the way you're going to kill your opponent is through creatures. You can't, you're not going to kill them with Ancestral Recall. So you want to play out your two mana, two ones with first strike and feel, you know, super big, play your Sarah Angels, and that's why the creatures kind of got the, the bad end of the stick. But nowadays, it's the flip opposite. Spells suck uh, yeah. compared to creatures. Creatures are insane. You, yeah, you I don't like it. I don't, I don't like that. I think it's, it's fucking boring. Whenever we see new creatures and all the huge shit that they do, they enter the battlefield, they blow up 50 of your opponent's permanents, they call your mom and tell her you love her and then they bang your girlfriend and it's i don't need all this stuff to happen yeah. like i just need a it's two, a tutu with first strike yeah like it's it's definitely gotten to the point where the power creep is just like leaps and bounds and i think the problem being i think richard garfield had it right in the beginning where powering up creatures really high is worse than powering up spells really high because creatures are what's going to kill you and in a game where you draw lands as well as non-land permanents, the problem is that if every card is super powerful and game-winning by itself, that time when you draw three lands in a row means you've lost. But back in the day, you could draw three lands in a row, and the best your opponent could do is play a couple dudes who were kind of crappy, then spells dealt with them. So the games were slower, there weren't so many aces running around, but now every card's a finisher, every card's a mid-game card, every card's a value card, every card's aggressive. So if you just get mana screwed for one or two turns, you're out of the game. Like yeah. stand that's how just standard has worked for for so long, but that's what happens. That's that's why I stopped playing standard. I got mana screwed once and I missed like one land drop and that's when I knew and I just walked out. I left my cards on the table. I left my wallet there and I just started walking. It was like that REM video. Yeah, back from the 90s when the REM video came out, everybody just gets out of their cars in the traffic jam and fucks off. Why That's did what you I leave, did. Mike? Yeah. I just felt like running. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't do it. All right, so that's Anavolver. Uh, we do have our final card, a card that is near and dear to my heart. I've used it in many, many weird combo decks before, and that card is Runic Repetition. A three-mana sorcery. It's an uncommon from Innistrad. Yet again, we have an Innistrad theme. Return target exiled card with flashback you own to your hand. It a, a neat little nod to this card that might not be so obvious is 
we mentioned quite a bit that, you know, if your cards get exiled and you're playing a graveyard deck, you should have a way to get it back. The nice thing about Runic Repetition is it doesn't know if your card got exiled because you used Flashback or because someone bajuka bogged you. So you can just get the card back regardless, as long as it's in exile. And that means if your win conditions a card with Flashback, Runic Repetition makes that win condition very resilient. Because you've got a card that grabs it from anywhere back into your hand, compared to Pull from Tomorrow, which puts it in your graveyard, and Rift Sweeper, which shuffles it back in your library. This puts it right back in your hand. Yep. So, it's pretty big. We're going to be working with the colors blue, green, and black. A favorite of ours. I think we've done a couple of these, actually. Um, Bound to do. Bound to do some repeats, though. I think we've done, you know, 14 episodes or something, 12 episodes. So... There's going to be some, some repeats. The commander at the helm, Mike, you're the one who chose this uh, this young lady, this young snake lady. I did. I chose her because, um, remember when I said that I had already pre-built like, part of the deck and then, yeah, yeah. then you shit yeah. on it? Well, this was going to yeah, be yeah. a part of that. This was going to work towards helping in that work. And it is here. Look at you. Yeah, that part, that part worked. It does. See, look at that. So t- tell me all about why you love this general. Why is CDC here? I never use CDC. I don't even know why. Actually, I fucking hate this general. Like to be really? Yeah, straight up, I can't. Why'd you her. take it then? <laughs> because so th- uh, let me read what her abilities are. Whenever CDC enters the battlefield or attacks, put the top three cards of your library into your graveyard. Well, Good. we're in a mill strategy, a self mill strategy. She fits that bill to a T. Then, whenever one or more creature cards are put into your graveyard from the library, put a 2-2 black zombie creature token onto the battlefield. So, here we are, milling. We're getting guys for it. Those guys are going to help protect us when things go south. We need to build this deck. We need to be working towards an end game. She's going to be there putting just chumps in front of the, the attacks. They're going to come hard and heavy. And yeah, so that's why she's the she's a good general for this. There there really aren't a ton of Saltai commanders anyways. There's like six, I think. Yeah. Um, now another and- idea that we could have gone down, and this is I had thought about it, if we had more of a discard theme in the deck, we could have used um Damia. Damia. Because then we would just we would mill in a different way. We would mill it through our hand and into the into the graveyard, mm. right? But uh, that's not the way we took this deck, so I think it's yeah. better for, for everybody involved if we use Sidisi. Yeah, I think Sidisi is, is pretty good. I, I don't know why I don't use her. I think if I'm... I don't really play Saltai a lot, but if I am going these colors, I find myself playing Moldrotha, or I find myself playing... Um, the new generals, probably, who I would go with nowadays, that stupid broken one. Oh, Yarok, Yarzanok. Yeah, the one who doubles all your Enter the Battlefield abilities. Yeah. He's just, um, yeah, he's just so broken. Uh, well, he wouldn't have been broken back in Richard Garfield's day. Correct. Yeah. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. All right. We're going to go right into our next uh, segment. So we've already covered what three cards. We've got Curse of the Bloody Tome, Anavolver, and Runic Repetition with Sidisi Broodmother at the helm. Sidisi does cost one and self-tie, so green, black, and blue for a 3-3. It's not too bad for stats. And let's see what we can do with those. What are, are going to be our themes um, is the question. I think theme one you mentioned already is that we want to be milling ourselves. Yeah. Self-mill gonna... is going to be important. 
self-mill. We're gonna you're gonna go the the mildo route. It's when you get your big old mildo out and you just start fucking yourself with it. Yeah, that's something you could do. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's let's take a look at some of the mill cards that we have because we want to self mill, and this is gonna go along with Curse the Bloody Tome. It is a curse. You can put it on anyone. We want to put it on ourselves, and we're gonna to get to why we want to mill ourselves a little later. You never want to do these kind of things without any, you know, reason. You're not like, ah, I want to see more of my cards. Let's put them in the bin. You know what? Actually, that would be fucking hilarious if you built a deck where your entire strategy is to fake out your opponents with like some. Like, I'm going to mill all my guys. So they just dump all of their resources into stopping that from happening. But your real strategy is that you're going to hit them with a 2-1 with first strike. I don't know, something along those lines. But that would be, like, you would go all in. That would be funny. Uh, I, I actually I had built something a long time ago. I never, I never built it, and you'll hear why in a second. Uh, I was trying to make a deck that was the most scary deck on the planet that was just completely harmless. I was going to have half... Of a lot of really broken combos, nice. but not the other half. <laughs> so it was gonna have like you know Sanguine Bond, but not Exquisite Blood. It was gonna have Triskelion, but not Scythe of the Wretched or Micaiah's. It was gonna have like all of the cards that are like the really crazy enablers, but no way to actually combo any of them. That's funny. And just see if you, you can win. Like find a way to use these piece of crap combo cards to like sculpt a win. But anyway. We want to be milling ourselves. Let's figure out how to do it. There's a million billion ways of doing it. We chose the more permanent-based ones. So we want to be able to do this over and over. So some recursive mill, which is going to lead us to our first card, which is actually two cards. And that is creatures that tap to mill you. There are some really good ones out there. In my humble opinion, the best one that's ever been printed is Deranged Assistant. Uh... But there is also a new one. Not new, sorry. It's new to me, because I've never seen this card for some reason. Uh, Deranged Assistant and Wood Sage are the oh, two. Oh, why is Deranged Assistant the best one? Because it's it's just, there's so many parts about the card that make it broken. So it yeah, costs but one Milliken, blue. Hold on, Milliken. Yeah, yeah it's worse. How is it worse? It's too colorless. And it's a zero one. Yeah, you're not attacking with it. Why? What? You're not going to attack with Deranged Hermit. You might block with it. Uh, yeah, you might. Exactly. It's also a human wizard, which is better than Construct. So, Deranged Assistant, as we were saying, uh, costs one and a blue from Innistrad. What, what? One, one. Human wizard has tap, put the top card of your library into your graveyard, then add one colorless to your mana pool. Very important note here that is often forgotten the tap to put a card into your graveyard, uh, then you get the one mana. The tap to put in your graveyard is part of the cost. They can't respond to this. Yep. So it's uh, like Selvala. There's a lot of ways of abusing this because this is a mana ability. So they can't respond at all to the ability whatsoever. Um, so keep that in mind when you're playing. If you do have to mill yourself out immediately, this is a way of doing it without anyone being able to respond at all. Yeah, well, one card at a time. One card at a time. But if you don't want to do it one card at a time, Mike, you could use Wood Sage, couldn't you? Uh, good. Except for my computer's freezing up for some fucking reason. So, but anyway, as I remember, Wood oh, Sage, yeah, it's from Tempest. Yes. It's an elf. 
And it's since nope. creature types are matters to you. Sure, it's a it's sage. A human druid. It's a human sage elf. Okay. Anyway, he's yeah. uh, he's got a power and he has a toughness. Correct. Right? Both upon both counts. Both are true. And he also taps to put the top four cards into your graveyard. That's not exactly what it says. And I'm sure that if I could read the card, I would make a lot more sense right now. He got some amount of mana. He is a magic card. <laughs> Uh, all right, I'll, I'll, you know what? Mike obviously knows this card a little bit better than we do. He knows it so well, he doesn't have to read the whole thing. I'll read the whole thing for you at home, who, like me, uh, did not know this card. Wood Sage has one power and one toughness. It is a See, human he's druid. He's got a power and toughness. It, it is a human druid. Closely related to elves. Perfect. Uh, it costs one green and one blue. For, a, uh, for this creature, it has tap, name a creature card. Reveal the top four cards of your library and put all of them with that name into your hand. Put the rest into your graveyard. Yeah, so, pretty close to what I said. Basically, uh, I plan on naming things that aren't in the deck. Yep. So I just have to mill for. Kiki-jiki. Kiki-jiki. Almost always, uh, you should be naming Brushwag every single time if possible. But, well, you know. no. And if you have Brushwag in your deck, don't do that. But don't have Brushwag in your deck, please. It could be. It's green. You could, but don't do not do that. I don't know if you've ever read that card. It's real bad. The only brushwag of its kind, though. It's, a, it's individual creature type. It, uh, it's a creature. has a power and toughness. Yeah. And it's green. And it's green. You're correct. On all counts. And it's a picture of a dust oh. bolt. Dust ball? Whatever well. those things are in, like, the cowboy movies that, like, like roll across the screen. Um, Tumbleweeds. It's a picture of a, a like a bobcat stuck in a big tumbleweed. Yeah. It's real stupid. But anyway, these cards are probably the most effective milk cards in my opinion. We mentioned before uh, cumulative uh, cumulative ways of milling yourself or doing anything is often a good strategy, especially at lower power tables where you don't have access to you know mill my entire library all in one shot with a combo. Yeah, you can't mildew yourself in front of everybody. Exactly. You gotta do it like quietly under the table. Just under chill. the table. Oh, no. oh no. Oh no. So Wood Sage and Deranged uh, Assistant are gonna mill us. Deranged Assistant gives us the benefit of giving us mana. Milliken, as Mike had mentioned before, the second best of its kind, also gives you mana. But what happens if you don't? want to mill one at a time uh we need to start milling a few few more as well as having some some form of utility that those mill cards kind of miss i mean oftentimes you'll be tapping the range assistant for just the mill one you're not really getting the mana all the time so maybe we want that mill plus some extra value and that is where we're gonna get our next card has your internet started working um yeah yeah, okay. You want to tell us about Nick's Weaver? Not really. I don't like this thing. It's shitty. Okay. I like this thing. I like this card I... a lot. It was my uh, it was my general in what? It was my general in a uh, popper league. Not popper league, but like a popper deck. Yeah. So it costs one, a green and a black for an uncommon uh, spider. Two, three with reach. At the beginning of your upkeep. Put the top two cards of your library into the graveyard. Already fantastic. But Terrifying. it's got the 
insane ability. One, a black and a green. Exile Nyx Weaver. Return target card from your graveyard to your hand. Instant speed. Costs three. And it gets... It's basically like a really slow tutor. Yeah, really slow. But like, you can get things you never knew you wanted from your graveyard back. Like deranged assistant. Yeah, I don't like this one. Really? Why don't you like this card? What What about this card doesn't appeal to you? It's got sweet art. No, it doesn't. That's one of the things. What do you mean it doesn't? It's a spider. Yeah, it's a terrible picture of a spider. It's bad spider. I don't like how it's scary self-mill. Self, you, you know, self-mill and me, we're kind of like... Eh. I used to believe you. I used to believe that you were afraid of milling yourself, and then you put traumatized in a deck that didn't need it. Yeah, but I was going to traumatize and then harvest pyre somebody. I I know. And that's uh, fine. I will say, this art only has seven legs on the spider. You only need seven. Which is... Hey, I like it. You're defending the card. Nice. Um, so anyway, you've got the ability to get cards back. You've got that ability to mill yourself. I think those are pretty strong when it comes to self-mill, there really isn't a ton of avenues you can go down. And I think our last one of the kind of the theme one, the last mill strategy we have is one of the better ones. The one that we didn't include is there are quite a few cards that are like the two mana cards that say reveal the top five cards, reveal the top four cards, take a land or take a creature from them and then put the rest in the graveyard. Those weren't included in here. I don't think that they're good enough for EDH. I don't think they're good enough for 100 cards. No, I've used them sometimes, but if it's only if I'm specifically looking for a thing. Yeah, I, I've i used them in 60 cards before. In fact, I've, I've built a version of this kind of deck in 60 card before, and they were great there. But because they're so quick, they're cost effective. But even in even in that, I don't think it uh, I don't think it's super worth. So with a hundred cards, it's even worse to try to find them, find uh, ways to use them. So recursive mill is going to be important. That's going to lead us off to the final way of milling, the most feared milling strategy that has ever existed in Magic. Table why, flipping. Why are you able to replace your draw step with dredge? How do you feel about dredge, Mike? I am really, I am, let me explain before you answer. I am interested because I know that you hate reckless milling, but I know how much you like value. So well, I, I have my, I have my Gitrog monster deck. And yeah. I, I built the deck with dredge in mind because I, understand how you know get rog loops work and mm-hmm. with that i'm okay because i'm controlling i'm controlling what's happening be- because i've built the deck to deal with that uh, how do i explain this like i'm okay with stuff going in the graveyard yeah i'm like whatever i don't care because i'm not going to start dredging until i am prepared for it whereas you know, unrestrained milling, that's a little... You might not be prepared for that. You're not one I of those can... turn two light from the loam, next turn, dredge three? Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> okay. um, but, like, with, with Gitrog, I'll dredge when I'm good and ready. Mm-hmm. With a self-mill strategy where you're you're putting Curse of the Bloody Tome on yourself to mill yourself, 
you're committed to that. That's happening now. That's just a thing. And too bad, so sad if you all of a sudden lose your ready, your ready status. Mm. You know what I mean? Whereas with Gitrog, okay, whatever. Um, you've taken away the thing I need to win. I stop dredging now. I rebuild and we'll start again when I'm ready to go. Yeah. This this deck really is all, all in. So we are doing a self mill strategy and we're gonna get to the payoffs, but. Do keep in mind, if this is the kind of strategy you're after, and I think this is one of the decks you could definitely build and have a lot of fun with, keep in mind, a rest in peace will make your day bad. A Leyline of the Void will make your day bad. Just be aware that this is one of the more all-in decks that we've built. We often try to make, you know, at least a little bit of mid-range strategy in every deck so that every deck has some legs to stand on. If their plan's not going so well, they can still play around and try to gain value in some way and you know but this really isn't that deck it's it has a one very singular game plan which means if that game plan isn't interrupted this deck is incredibly powerful but if it does get interrupted you are going to be hurting so what do you do when you're playing the kind of combo deck like this where your plan is all in and someone goes rest in peace well, like, it it depends. Do you, do you just go, you know what? I'm going to scoop. We'll start again. Because for me to continue this game, I have to dig around for one of the few spot removals that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, or, you know, like, you're done. So this is, this is how I look at it. Um, this is not... So in my mind, there's a difference between the combo decks and the engine decks. This is very much an engine deck. Versus the combo decks that we've kind of showcased before. Combos are like, you know, you put a few... It's a combination of cards that ends the game immediately, right? Engine decks are more about giving you an advantage that's insurmountable. That no one can beat the advantage you're generating because the what you're generating is beyond someone drawing one card a turn or, or how many cards they can draw a turn and how much mana they can spend. So that's things like, I would say, an engine deck could include something like the Miracles deck that used Sensei's Divining Top and Counterbalance to prevent your opponent from playing spells. So my main concern when playing an engine deck is this. It's not my responsibility as the engine deck to go as fast as possible. As a combo deck, it is. Because combos are stopped a lot harder than engine decks normally. It's my job as the engine deck to make sure I'm prepared to get the engine online. Because if I don't prepare myself, and we have ways of protecting you, right? We've got ways of destroying enchantments and artifacts in here. If you are not ready to destroy an artifact or an enchantment from your hand, if you have checked out the table and you've done a poor job at assessing threats, and you start the engine, you're going to lose. Because unlike a combo deck, with this deck especially, if your whole graveyard gets wiped clean, you might just be out of the game. So, you you got to be really careful. I think this deck will take some skill to play. But, yeah, th- this engine deck is going to gain a lot of value. It's going to do a lot of crazy stuff. But make sure you're prepared to play it. I know me personally, I don't concede in those cases. I fight to the bitter end. But I wouldn't blame someone if they've conceded. I've played many competitive games of Magic where there's a lot of things on the line where, you know, people just concede. Funny story. It reminds me of the worst grand finals i have ever seen in my whole entire life 
if I don't laugh at the end of the story, then it's not a funny story. So you have pressure. Go. I am. I feel pressured. Okay. There was a big legacy event, and this big legacy event, there was a ton of money on the line, and the the finals were two decks. One of them was some random. Uh, it was it was like Soldier Stompy. So they were playing like soldiers and uh, chrome moxes to like make their soldiers come out quicker. And they were playing Aether Vial. It was terrible. The deck was a piece of garbage. The opponent was playing Oops All Spells. I, I want to make a joke here about cream soldiers coming out too quickly. Yeah. But I'm not going to because this is your funny story, not mine. You've, you've added to it. We've got... Oops, all spells. And for those of you who at home who oops, don't understand it... Oops, my cream soldiers came out too quickly. <laughs> he couldn't help himself. <laughs> Could not help himself. It was just, it was on the tip of his tongue. But, oops, all spells, just a quick rundown for those who don't know it. It's a deck that runs no lands. It generates mana through free mana outlets and eventually mills itself completely, uh, at which point it uses its graveyard to reanimate stuff. So the deck mills itself completely and then uses reanimation effects to pull some stuff out of the graveyard to win instantly. This is how the finals went. Game one, the stompy player, they drew their hands, the opponent went chrome mox, and the stompy player scooped. Because he, he was dead. Because he's like, they, they don't play out any cards unless they know they can kill you. So he just scooped and he was dead. That was game one. Game one what? lasted like 15 seconds. Why, why did he scoop? Because the, the Oops All Spells deck don't play out any cards unless they're going to kill you. Because they don't want anything of theirs to get destroyed. <laughs> that's, so, that, that's, that's true. Like, they hold everything. Okay. Until they can just go off all at once. Because the deck, in one turn, it has to generate four mana. If the deck generates four mana, they win the game. Okay. It's a really broken deck. But it's think here's why it's not broken. Game two, the opponent goes, and they, they sideboard in two cards. In the, in the matchup, they shuffle. Game two, the opponent mulligans down to four cards, keeps their hand, the, the person playing the Stompy deck, the Soldier deck, and he's on the play now. Game starts. Pre-game effects, he puts Leyline of the Void in play, the Soldier person. With Now he has three cards in hand, he puts Leyline as his fourth card, and the Oops All Spells deck scoops their cards, because they have no way of beating that card. Game three, the guy mulligans down, the Soldier player mulligans down to two cards, and puts Leyline of the Void out. <laughs> and the guy scoops. That whole top eight, sorry, the whole match took roughly like 80 seconds. It was the okay. most dissatisfying thing I've ever seen ever. That is a funny story. And yeah, it was just really funny because the Oops All Spells player had a sideboard, but his sideboard was 15 islands because they don't sideboard. So it was like, it was really funny. Uh, anyway, at this time they didn't sideboard. Now they have sideboards, but anyway, so that was that was the funny, dumb story about the Oops All Spells thing. I don't remember where we are. Here we are. Oh, there we go. Dredge. Dredgy boys. Let's talk about Dredge. So for those of you who don't know, which shouldn't be anyone, but in case, Dredge lets you replace your draw step uh, by dredging. And dredging, you put X number of cards from the top card from the top of your library into the graveyard where X is the number that's represented on the card. So Greater Moss Dog, for example, 4 mana 3-3 three, three has Dredge 3, right? So instead of drawing a card with the turn, you can put three cards from your grave from your library into your graveyard and return Greater Moss Dog to your hand. 
So I think this mechanic was designed to give you extra value and let you replay cards that are, like, good. Uh, that's not how it was used. It is used as a free outlet to mill yourself into oblivion. Yep. Uh, the most popular and famous of all the dredgers being Golgari Grave Troll, because he has the highest dredge count, dredge 6. Uh, I would read you what this card does, but the card is completely irrelevant. It is a faceless card that has dredge 6 on it. It has regenerate. And nope. I th- nope. It yeah. doesn't have any of those things. Don't worry about it. It's got dredge 6. The rest of the card doesn't matter. Sure it does. It, it matters. Nope. It has... Dredge 6. It has regenerate on it, and it has some other shit, too. Yeah, it's got some other stuff. Which part of that part, which part, of that card do you remember the most of? Regenerate. Uh, Regenerate, because he's a troll. <laughs> Obviously. He is a troll, which is... They printed some trolls without regeneration, which makes me upset. Yeah. All right. We've found a way to put a bunch of cards from our library into our bin, but why are we doing that is is kind of the question. Uh, why don't we talk about some of the payoff cards, Mike? One of these cards that I'm, I'm sure you know, because... In, in in one of our only constructed matches ever that we played in, I played this card and beat you into the dirt. Boneyard. Well, it wasn't Twilight's Call. It it wasn't. It was Boneyard Worm. Yeah. Did that happen? I don't I don't recall that. I'm sure. Why do you, why don't you tell us about Boneyard Worm if you have the ability? Boneyard Worm is a one green and one colorless worm. Yep. That has power and toughness of star star. And then its text box said, Boneyard Worm's power and toughness are each equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard. The flavor text says, uh, Jacob probably did not use this to beat Mike. I did 100%. Um, Jacob r- rarely ever beats Mike because Mike <laughs> is the best. He is the mightiest wizard. He, he, I am the mightiest wizard. So Boneyard Worm, that's a payoff card. That's... That can get much bigger than people assume. Yeah, it's like the white of Precinct Six. Yeah, that can kill people too. Or yeah, Lord but... of the Lord of the Void, whatever it is. Not Lord of the Void. Which one am I thinking of? Something of I... Extinction. Oh, Lord of Extinction. There you go. Yeah, I, I I've actually run the white because the white's a zombie, so it slots into some of the decks that I've built better. Mm-hmm. But it's the same card. It's the exact. It's just the black version of this card. Yeah. So the, it gets pretty big. Uh, number of creatures in your graveyard. So this deck has a total of 24 creatures in the deck. If you have 10 creatures in the graveyard, this is a two mana 10 10. And I think in a format where we often prioritize abilities over stats so much, remember in the end their life total gets reduced if you hit them by a t- with a 10 10. So it, that actually, it when we start playing the game as younger people, we get fucking so turned on by the by the creature that's like six power, sif toughness, because all we ever see is the is the two twos or whatever, like the guys. Crawworm baby. Yeah. So now when we look at a crawworm type card, and it's it's that big or whatever, it's great. But the problem is, is it has no evasion. And that's where people get hung up, and then they're like, oh, Crawworm's a piece of shit. Yeah. Well, yeah, Crawworm is a piece of shit on its own, but, you know, you're you're commanding an army here. So it's a great thing to, um, to give them trample. Have something that gives all your guys trample. 
and there's tons of cards that do that. Have something that gives all your guys flying. Or just have something that gives this one guy flying. Mm-hmm. Because now you're getting that 10-10 for two, and he's getting through. He's, he's going to start doing the beats. Yeah. You know, so. That's, that, that is really true, because in formats like Legacy, Modern, and Standard, one of the biggest things that you're told, no, don't do that, don't do that, is you should never really play cards that are reliant on other cards unless they have an innate way of tutoring them or they're incredibly versatile. And in EDH, I feel like that rule's kind of thrown out the window. The games are longer. The effects you need to win are often bigger, right? You can't just win with a stone forge getting a batter skull. That's not going to cut it in EDH. You need to grab something crazy. You need to make that batter skull in, you know, unblockable. Give it an effect. Do something. So playing a card like Boneyard Worm that innately can become ginormous, this card paired with a Whisper Silk Cloak, that's a really big threat that I think a lot of decks who are you know playing graveyard-related decks who might have Whisper Silk Cloak already in the deck for their commander, right? Maybe they're playing, you know, Varals or whatever, who are like, oh, I want to give my commander a shroud. This happens to also give them, uh, sorry, uh, happens to also give them unblockable, right? Maybe they've already used the boots in the deck and they want a little bit more. If you're not playing a card like Boneyard Worm, I'd ask, what is replacing this card, right? If you're already playing a mill strategy or, you know, a graveyard-related strategy, this thing's huge and paired with one other card in your deck can be a finisher that kills your opponent in two turns. Well, there's not only that, but there's also the fact that a lot of times when you when you have a board, uh, or sorry, like in the middle of the game, there might not be that many creatures on the board. Mm-hmm. Like unless one of the opponents has a token strategy and they're going wide, you know, that's different. But I mean, if you've got a 10-10 and you're just casually throwing that around, people are going to have to deal with it. And then they're going to have to use that value creature that they've been using to you know do with do an ability or you know do an effect they're gonna have to throw that in front at some point you mm-hmm. know they might eat one or two hits from this thing but on the third one they're gonna start thinking like oh shit do i really need to keep this guy around no i better i better stop the bleeding honestly i had a situation uh at uh, the store when i was helping a gentleman build an edh deck it was his first ever edh deck and we were going through cards, and I was trying to get him some more fun cards. He wasn't looking to spend a lot of money, so we're trying to do some 2DH stuff, but just, you know, whatever cards he had. And he started going through his binder, and he he looked at one card, and he's like, man, I really wish I could play that, and it was Dungrove Elder. I said, so Dungrove Elder gets plus X, plus X. Sorry, its power and toughness is XX, where X is number of force you control, and it's hexproof. It's a three-mana creature. costs one and a green and two. Yeah, and I really you, actually, you have beat me with that. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Um, so he's like, man, I really wish I could play this card. I said, then why don't you? He's like, well, I'm never going to be able to get through. And I, and I thought about it. And, you know, I've heard that complaint from a lot of people because I think when we think of EDH, we have this weird vision in our head, like everyone's playing a token deck with a ton of creatures to sacrifice and they're everyone's got a crazy board state where there's a ton of creatures in play ready to block. But man, if you play EDH, just the next time you go out to your local store, next time you play a game, on turn five, look around the board and ask yourself, if I had a 10-10 right now, what kind of damage could I deal? Because I think you'll find you, if someone wants to block, you're killing their Seedborn Muse, you're killing their Dark Confidant, you're killing their big dudes who matter, or they're taking 10. So 
don't have that perception that everyone's a token deck. Everyone's a Riz, uh, Riz the Redeemed deck, and everyone's got, you know, 30 tokens in play. No, that that might happen for one or two players every once in a while, but not everyone has the resources to spare on a blocker. And if you're attacking them with two, three big dudes, even one, well, eventually that's going to tax them. And if you're not taxing them, they're going to run wild. So mm-hmm. now, keep that in mind. After you've loaded up your graveyard, you can always just use Twilight's Call, which is our other neat card, to mm-hmm. uh, bring all those bad boys back. Now, that's going to make Boneyard Worm a piece of shit. Correct. Well, oh, whatever. Fuck them. Yeah. You've used so, them. Yeah, you, you used and abused them. Mm-hmm. Twilight's Call is pretty good. Wait, I'll tell you calls? about it. I'm going to tell you about it. Okay. Okay, here we go. It's four colorless, two black. It's a sorcery. And it says, you may cast this fucking thing at any time. You could cast an instant if you pay two more to cast it. So then it becomes six colorless and two black. Mm-hmm. Each player returns all creature cards from his or her graveyard to the battlefield. It's a game-ending ability. Yeah, for somebody. What? Oh, I mean, like, this card... I don't know why, but these kind of cards, this and uh, Living Death, remind me of, like, you and your playstyle so much. That's because I love Living Death. Because, like, it's just, it's this thing where you play these crazy game-ending cards like this, and Twilight's Call is that kind of card, and I think, again, it's one of those things that people have this weird perception in their head of why maybe this card's not so good. Because they'll say things like, well... I'm only returning four guys, and my opponents are returning two. How, how could Twilight's Call be really good? A, you're returning more than that for sure in this deck. But B, you're not returning faceless, nameless morph creatures. You're returning the creatures that you know are better than your opponents. You only play cards like this when you're ahead and you know you're going to stay ahead. Or if you're behind and you need to get ahead. You don't play this to your detriment. No. So... You know, you hit your you hit your big payoff cards that we're gonna get to next, and actually word payoffs. Yeah, you hit some crazy cards like Kestage Cage Breakers or uh, you know your Ishkana or your Tigom or one of these just huge cards that ends up being a game changer and completely completely shifts the tide in, in the game. I love so. Cage Breakers, Kiki Jiki Cage Breakers, boom. Yeah, that's pretty pretty I've spicy. This was so many times. I want Cage Breakers to come back in standard. There was there was the best standard ever in Innistrad where one of the tier like three decks was a graveyard deck. And in block constructed it was the best deck. Mm-hmm. And it was just like you'd fill your bin with stuff and then you'd play four Cassage Cage Breakers and you'd just play Cassage Cage Breakers on five and you'd attack and you'd make eight two twos attacking. Yeah. People would die. So we've got the payoff. Now, we've gone through the very simple parts, and we mentioned in the beginning that this episode was going to have a little bit of math in it, and it was going to be a little bit complicated. We've gotten through the easy stuff, so as to bring all of you in, now it's time to teach everyone a lesson. In our theme number three, what is the engine for this deck, and some neat tricks that this deck can pull off, as well as some math regarding milling cards and drawing cards. So you're going to have to explain all this, because um, I like the other spicy combo. Okay, you're, you know, you're going to take the spicy combo, okay? 
Yeah, you do you do this boring math one. Oh, whatever. You shut up. This combo's the best. So, I'm calling this one the Spider-Man engine. So, the reason it's called the Spider-Man engine is we are going to try to win with the card Spider-Spawning. Spider-Spawning being probably top five of my favorite cards in Magic. It is a sorcery that costs four and a green and says, create a one-two green spider creature token with reach for each creature card in your graveyard. But it also has flashback for six and a black. For seven, you can bring it back, uh, cast it you know, on one turn, then flashback the next. You can get a ton of spiders. These spiders will kill people. They don't have defender, so they can attack. But here's the problem. Once you've cast it, you probably are done with it. Except you're not done with it because this card's broken. It has flashback. It does, and then you do it again. And then you're still not done with it because this card's broken. Here's the setup. We're going to want to mill our library down to zero. We're going to want to get zero cards in our library. At that point, we can start to do some really funny things. And the beautiful part about this is that we don't have to mill our library and then have certain cards in our hand. As long as we have all of our library into the graveyard, as well as some open mana, we can do this weird engine type thing. Okay, you have your whole, you have no cards in your library. Spider spawning is in your graveyard, along with three other cards that basically do the exact same thing uh, as each other. You have Crows and Reclamation, costs one and a green for an instant, says target player shuffles up to two cards from their graveyard into their library, and it's flashback for one and a green. You have Memory's Journey that shuffles up to three cards, costs one and a blue naturally, and costs one green flashback. And then finally you have, where's the third one? There it is. A new card actually printed from uh, in Modern Horizons, Stream of Thought. Costs one blue. Target player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard. You shuffle up to four cards from your graveyard in your library. Okay. So you've got all four of these cards in your graveyard. In play, you need any card that mills you for one. Milliken will work, Deranged Assistant will work, and so on. Any of these creatures that mills for one, you're, you're good to go. What you want to do is this. Use Memory's Journey, paying a green, flashing it back to shuffle into your library that's non-existent, Spider Spawning, Stream of Thought, and Crows and Reclamation. Now your library is three cards big. You randomize your library as you do. And now you have a 33% chance on your turn to draw spider spawning. Now here's the magical Christmas land of it all. You draw on your next turn, it's spider spawning. You play spider spawning, putting it into your graveyard. The next turn, you untap, draw, draw a card that shuffles it back into your deck. You play it. You Let's say you drew Crows and Reclamation. You shuffle spider spawning into your deck again you choose no other cards with crows and reclamation you only need to choose the one at that point you draw let's say you drew the stream of thought you play the stream of thought shuffling back in crows and reclamation into your deck and you can loop this so every other turn you're going to draw spider spawning and every other turn you make a one two spider for each creature in your graveyard and at this point, since your whole deck's gone, as long as no creatures have been exiled, you're at 20, probably around 20 creatures in your graveyard. Which means every other turn you're making 20 one-twos that can have that have reach, which is going to be a game-ender. Here's the cool part, and this is where the math comes in. When you put all three cards back, if you have a mill creature in play, 
you should always, every single time, mill one during your upkeep. Now, I know what you're thinking. But why would we mill one if we want to draw spider spawning? If we don't draw spider spawning, we have to wait a whole turn in order to shuffle it back. Well, the answer is math, as always. When you draw a card in three cards in your library, there's a 33% chance that you're going to draw the card you want. But that's not the stat we care about. There's a 66% chance you are not going to draw the card you want. So there's a 66% chance that the top card of your library is not spider spawning, which means you should always mill the top card. Because that gives you a 50-50 afterwards at drawing spider spawning. And since you're more likely to not have spider spawning on the top, the top card will be one of those other two a majority of the time, 66% of the time. This is the spider engine. I've used this in modern before, and it's worked fairly well. I've used it in standard and crushed people's spirits. I've used it in EDH before, and it's insane. The beauty of this combo is that it's all instant speed, which is pretty big, or most, most of the cards are instant speed. Spider spawning, even if it gets exiled, and this is going to be the kicker, even if it gets exiled through, let's say you have to flash it back at some point in the game and you don't have it in your deck anymore. No worries. We've got a signature card for that in Runic Repetition. All you Runic have to do... Runic Repetition. I just thought oh. I hadn't said anything for a while. I didn't want people oh. to think that I'd like fucking left. You're just gone. Grabbing a sandwich. Yeah. Having a shit. Instead of, instead of putting Spider Spawning into the package of three cards you get... Instead, you get Runic Repetition. Runic Repetition returns Spider Spawning to your hand, and you can cast it and flash it back. And the combo is so crazy that if you have enough mana, you can set it up that instead of ever returning Spider Spawning, you just keep returning Runic Repetition and casting Spider Spawning twice every every other turn. So you get it basically once a turn, which mm. is big boy. That's big the boy. engine. Super resilient. It's insane you'd be surprised at how quickly you can get something like this working as well as how lethal this is making 21 twos a turn is not small game and that's my spiel that's theme three the spider engine might have to listen to this back a couple times to like get it but if you get it you can literally put these five cards into any deck and do the spider spawning combo if you have zero cards in your library and you're good. And it's like the combo protects itself from exiling by being able to flashback stuff at instant speed and shuffle things in. It protects from you being drawn out when you have no cards. If people are trying to make you draw cards when there's nothing in your library by shuffling cards back in, you make a bunch of blockers and attackers. Combo's insane. Get at me. Well, I mean, unless they have something that gives all creatures minus one, minus one. Yeah, then you get a bunch of zero one, uh, def- zero one reachers super handy yeah hey i think the other combo is better i i think the other combo is cool but not as sick nasty as this one but you let us know about the other combo tell us what it is and why it's good also what's the theme name because i wrote the theme name and i'm really proud of it it's the super spicy secret combo yes correct okay so this this super spicy secret combo in this deck works off of our other feature card and evolver and then this bad boy which i knew was a thing but didn't really read it until you were like oh here's a super spicy secret combo and i had to go buy the card and that's villas broker of blood 
Phyllis is from M20, and he costs five colorless, three black, so he's a beefy, beefy guy. Bet you, bet you can't guess what creature type he is. Angel. Demon. And mm-hmm. you can tell that because he's black and he's got the huge cost of mana cost. Yeah. So Villas flies, which is super handy because he's an 8-8. Big boy. But he's also got a pretty wicked ability. Pay a black. Pay two life. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until the end of turn. Paying life? I don't want to do that. Why not? You got 40 of them. Well, what? will I get anything for paying life? Yeah, you get minus one, minus one on an, on an opponent's dude. Read the second ability. I'm getting there. I'm trying Segway. to hype. I'm hyping this shit up. Whenever like, you lose life, draw that many cards. Well, paying life is losing life. Correct. So pay you know one black. Who, yeah. So if you could if you could generate infinite black, that'd be great. And infinite life, that'd be great too. And infinite cards in your library. <laughs> Yeah, if you had those three things, you'd just win the game. But there's another way to win the game, and that's by using Jace, who is less than two bucks, which is fucking amazing. Jace, the wielder of mysteries. Mm-hmm. Now, Jace is from uh, the latest set featuring Nicol Bolas. What's that one called? War of the Spark? Correct. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, Jace is not the one that dies. Okay, but... Spoilers. Yeah. Here's the most important line on Jace. If you would draw a card while your library has no cards in it, you win the game instead. So, this is Laboratory Maniac with Planeswalker abilities. It's true. That costs one more. Mm -hmm. And one dollar less. Yeah. Yeah. His other abilities are target player puts the top two cards of their library in their graveyard and then draw a card, which fits our mill theme pretty okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And then his minus eight is draw seven cards. Then if your library has no cards in it, you win the game. Yeah, but we don't need to ultimate him to win the game. Nope. No, because what we're going to do is we're going to cast Jace. We're going to cast Villas Broker of Blood. And we're going to cast Anavolver, which, if you remember, has that black kicker of pay a black. And he comes into battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it and has pay three life, regenerate Anavolver. We're going to cast those three cards. Now... If you're at full life, you will use Anavolver's ability, I would say, mm, 12 times. Because yeah. 12 times 3 36. is 36. doesn't sound like it's going to be enough. Well, I think the beauty of this combo is that you don't necessarily need to do this early. In fact, the deck can facilitate getting every single one of these combo pieces from the graveyard into play all in one turn when you have no cards in your graveyard already. Because yes. library already. See, I thought the combo was a lot better when I was doing shitty math. So if you have your deck thinned out, so let's say, I mean, if you're at full life anyways and you have less than 36 cards in your library, you just straight up win. But yeah. we, you know, you mentioned we can cast Broker of Blood. We also can just return him to play with something like Dread Return. So, Dread Return being a four-mana card that returns a creature from the graveyard, okay, sure, but as a flashback, while it's in our graveyard, we can sacrifice three creatures instead, sack three dudes, bring back Villas. Then, we can use something like Creeping Renaissance that returns the choose a permanent type, or you choose a card type. Choose a permanent type 
Then return all of those cards to your hand. You choose Planeswalker, so now Jace, Wielder of Mysteries, is in your hand. It's kind of like you tutored him up. You play him down, and then you use something like Morgue Theft that returns a creature from your graveyard to hand that returns an Evolver, and then you cast him. So if you return, if you use Creeping Renaissance at some point earlier in the game, this combo in total, mana-wise, on one turn, takes four mana for Jace and takes five mana for Anavolver. So for nine mana and sacrificing three creatures, you win the game. And it's not only that you win the game, because, Mike, we've mentioned it a million times. We're going to mention it a million and one times. I'm a fan of colons. That colon after pay three life means we can do that bad boy at instant speed as many times as we want. So you got a removal spell for my Jace? Fantastic. I hope you have a removal spell for every three life that I have that I can pay in response to draw more cards. Yeah. It's this is a spicy combo, all of which can be reanimated. What I like about it is that it's not a combo that's going to come down immediately. Is this a good mm-hmm. combo that has to come in later? You have to do your setup for it. And I really can't see other players getting super salty if you win this way. Yeah, that's big. Um, you know, it's going to take the time to set up. Uh, you, you need to have put a fair amount of effort into getting a lot of stuff into your graveyard. Mm-hmm. If someone, after you win this way, goes, well, you, you're a fucking combo player, you just say to them this, hey, you know, if you get really close to my bum, you can eat shit. And then just fucking walk away. Like, just yeah. fuck that guy. Fuck him. Yeah, I mean, like, Mike, how many times have you seen the, like, Micaeus for Skellion combo? Like, a million times, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's super it's too common. many times. And it's super easy to get out. Like, I've seen yeah. Micaeus, um, I've seen that go off, like, you know, three, two or three turns into the game. The guy skips his first, uh, uh, his first step type thing, doesn't play anything, and pitches Triskelion. And then it reanimates it on the next turn. Yeah. Like it's power just... to make AS and then the game is over. Like Yeah. You can com- I-, I could see complaining about that if you're not at a high power table and someone's pulling out that stuff. That's a bit scumbaggy. It's a little bit much. But are you gonna complain about this? This is like the sexiest way you can win the game. Yeah. Like that you use you like especially if you go through that reanimation route, you're using creeping renaissance to bring back the one planeswalk in your deck to slam jam that bad boy into play, so you can gain you can lose life with Villas, draw cards that you've milled your whole deck out. Like, if anyone complains, it's them is the problem, not you. Combo players unite. I am one of you, and I get it, we can be terrible people sometimes, but play this deck and hold your head up high. Because you're not a monster for playing this one. I just really like Villas. I, I, you know, Cards after broken. so broken. After sitting down and reading it and like thinking about it, and I bought it and I left it in the car and I thought about it all day and like this has got a lot of neat possibilities with it. Um, a lot. Oh, th- this thing is super broken. I mean, I built a Villas deck just for uh, just for fun to test out to see how it uh, how it rolls. Uh, let me say that I've never played a deck. Probably with as many broken cards that are cards that are made broken because of the, the general. Like, if you're someone who thinks, oh, I play Animar and Animar makes you know a lot of cards super broken, yeah, that that's got nothing on Villas. No. Villas turns cards like Deadwood. I think it's like Deadwood Spirit. That's a three mana two one. It's a piece of crap. 
but it says pay two life regenerate him, it turns that guy into Necro at instant speed that you don't have to discard to. So you just pay your whole life, draw all your cards. Any cards that read pay one life, do anything, let you draw your entire deck for free. Well, don't think about um, Sign in Blood. Simon Blood now says pay pay two black and two life and draw four cards. Yeah. Just that alone is pretty good. Yeah. Wall of Blood, pay one life to give it plus one, sorry, minus one plus one or something. Yeah, don't worry about that. Draw infinite cards. Draw, draw your whole deck. Don't worry yeah. about it. But, like, Villas is, is insane. I could definitely see him being like a tier two commander of just like, the only problem that's holding him back is his colors, I would say. If he was... I think if he was black-white, he'd probably be one of the best commanders out there, just because you could play stuff like Children of Coralis to regain all your life back. But, yeah, Villas is insane. He comes with an ability right on him that the only requirement is that you have a black mana. So it says, pay one black, pay two life, draw two cards, target creature gets minus one, minus one. So for one black, you can draw two cards now whenever you want. He only costs a dollar right now. Yeah. Like, I, I bought one, and it was a buck. His price is actually increasing already. Is it? Yeah, it was. Uh, he was 80 cents a couple days ago. Huh. And he he's slowly going up because, honestly, I I was thinking about rebuilding my Macias deck, my full powered big boy table Macias deck, and I was looking at Villas and I'm thinking, how am I gonna not include this in the deck? There's so many easy ways to reanimate this thing. Turn one, you know, turn one and tomb. Turn two, reanimate. Villas, or even better, turn probably to um, that card I can't think of, Buried Alive, putting three cards in the bin, you reanimate Villas, and then you play the actual card reanimate on, like, Shieldred, which means you have to pay seven life to do so. <laughs> and you draw seven cards for one black. Like, I, I honestly, I think Villas is so broken that it's like... You're looking at him and you're thinking this card can't be good because they wouldn't print the card like this for EDH. They like they wouldn't do it. They often they print those cards that are like crazy upside, but they're obviously there's a downside. There just isn't one with Villas. Yeah. He's insane. So anyway, those are our those are our four themes. You got the milling yourself. You want the payoff, so you're gonna be using those boneyard worms, Twilight's Call. Your theme three, which is the Spider Engine, Spider Man Engine. Spider Spawning, Stream of Thought, Crows and Reclamation, Memories Journey. You're just going to cycle all those cards. And finally, the secret spicy, extra saucy theme, the Anavolver combo. Uh, Anavolver, Villas, and Jace returning those cards. I, I honestly hope... I can hear myself for a sec there. Um, I hope that this is how you win the game. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be playing this deck, I think. And I do hope that it's the Villas one. If I have the opportunity, I'm going to go for it. Yeah, I think... Win or, win or lose, I'm going to go for this combo. Like, I would be happy if you won with this one. So, you know, winning winning with combos is always, of like, fun if you do it in the right way, and I think this is the perfect way to do a combo. If you're someone who's afraid of combo decks because you don't want to be hated at the table, play this. You'd be fine. Uh, all right, well, it's time for us to move on now to our top picks of the deck. These are the cards that make us believe that the deck is truly... Truly good and workable. These cards make us think that the dream may be possible and really just give us sense of uh, a sense of the deck and give it some direction. 
So, Mike, why don't you start us off with a card that I think you are you're a big fan of? I know you've killed me with this card several times. Yeah, I killed you with Dak Moore Salvage. Correct. It's land. I just I kill you with it. Well, it's, it's definitely used in the murdering of me many times. Dakmore Salvage uh, enters the battlefield tapped. It's a land. It taps to add a black to your mana pool, so it is a worse swamp, but mm-hmm. it has dredge too. Um, the reason I have killed you with this is because it is the key component in Get Rog Monster. This is the card that enables Get Rog to do all the dirty things. Yes. Now, in this deck, it works really well because. We replace our draw steps with dredge steps, and since we're trying to get things into the graveyard, this is a great way to do it, and we can do it every turn. I just think that um, this is a pretty good one. It's solid. It's a land, so there's not a lot of uh, opportunity cost to playing something like Dakmore Salvage. You can just play it. Unlike a creature, for example, Golgari Grave Troll, who's bad in the early game, in a sense of, well, you're never going to get to play him, Dakmore Salvage, if you have no way to dredge, it's just a land. Yeah. Now, so, a great thing is that this thing works really well with, like, Jace. Yep. You know, target player puts the top two cards of the library in their graveyard, so you mill one, mill two. Oh, Dakmore Salvage is there. Well, and then Jace says draw a card. You can replace that draw a card with the dredge. Yep. Dredges allow you to chain them. So, like, if you're drawing five cards and you have one dredger in the graveyard that dredges six and you dredge five more cards, you can just keep dredging. Uh, you don't have to choose your five at the start of the draw. You just, you choose them as you go. So I'd like yeah. to say that this was a card that I added. It was. Yeah. I did this Good one. one. Big thumbs up to me. Yeah, no, Dakmore Salvage is strong. I definitely missed that one on the way in. Um, uh, I thought right. about maybe we put in like an expedition map so you could fetch it out, but you've got other dredgers in here, so it's not that big a deal. But it Unlike is good... with the Gitrog, where you need to search this out. Yeah. Very important. Um, all right, next is a card that I really enjoy. It's a card that I've used in, I think, two decks in total, but those decks were really cheeky, weird combos. It's Cephalid Vandal from Scourge. Costs... No, that's Torment. Oh, Torment. Yeah, no, it's not Scourge. Torment. They, they get confused because they're both dragons or serpent things. Cephalid Vandal costs one and a blue for a 1-1. One, one. It is a Cephalid creature, which has, at the beginning of your upkeep, put a shred counter on Cephalid Vandal. Try to find those. Then, put the top card of your library into your graveyard for each shred counter on Cephalid Vandal. We mention how important something like Worry Beads is for a deck that wants to mill cards. Cephalid Vandal does it better, especially when you only want to mill yourself, because turn one, it's one card. Turn two, it's two, then three. And let me ask you, Mike, how crappy would you feel if this is the card you had to sort to plowshares? Because it's milling me. Wouldn't it feel kind of like crap to have to swords this thing? Yeah. So, like, it's, it's a beautiful card, because it's like, it demotivates your opponents from stopping you. Because it's like, it's just... It's not it's not crazy. It's not Avenger of Zendikar. Right? It's not nuts. It's not Omnath. It's Cephalid Vandal. You really how many, how many turns does it take before this thing mills your entire deck? Oh good. It's uh it's, it's factorials, right? Uh I guess. I don't know. Or is factorials multiplicative or is it additive? I don't know. But you'd start the game. You would cast this thing on turn two at the earliest. 
So by then, you are nine cards into your deck. And on turn three, you're ten cards in when his ability goes off. Yep, so it's two. So on turn five, then, you're at three counters on it? Something like that, yeah. So if you have three counters there, four, five, six... I think from, like, very rough math, I feel like on turn, like, maybe... 18 or 19 this card would mill you out completely? Uh, I don't think so, because that means it had milled you on turn 17 for 17 cards, and 18 for 18 cards, that's 36 cards. That's a third of your deck. So maybe even, like, turn 15? Turn 14? Yeah, I bet you it's yeah. So, Cephalid Vandal can by itself, and I love cards like this, that by themselves can just win you the game eventually because it is sticks around forever and no one wants to kill this thing and really are you gonna start like attacking and beating down the guy who's just playing crap zeppelins i mean i probably not the highest threat at the table but eventually this kind of card gets super out of hand um it's like worry beads on so much drugs keep that in mind that's my next one. Uh, Mike, we've already ranted and raved about this card, but if you've got any last words for why people should be in love with Villas, now is the time. I um, Just take a look at the picture. Like, this this was my this was my top pick, one of my top picks, and I just couldn't contain myself. He just yep. looks like he's doing some accounting. He's like, hmm, well, this motherfucker <laughs> owes me some shit, and I better get that back from him, and this guy, I, uh, he owes me some shit, too. Like, just, yeah, Villas is, like, the fucking nerd of the demon world, but he's just really good at it. His name is also, like, almost villain. It's real close. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You know what? Just go to your local game store, drop a fucking dollar on this thing, and then put it in your binder. And one day you're going to use it. And if you don't, I bet you it's going to go up in price. And if it doesn't, you spent the dollar, you're probably going to And the day you use it is the day you... Is the day you play i don't know it's the day that someone plays uh exsanguinate on the whole table for like 15 and then someone points to your board and says doesn't that trigger villas and then you're like oh yeah and then draw 15 cards and then you never play a black tech with a villas ever again so those are the days that you're going to be playing villas and you're going to see how broken this is and someone's like Man, I really want to attack that dude for ten with my boneyard worm, but I'm gonna let her let him draw ten cards if I do. So, Phyllis, yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm, I'll rant and rave on your card too. Uh, my next card here, I've I've also talked it about it a little bit already. They're really deck defining, so it's hard to talk about the deck without really talking about them. And that's Creeping Renaissance. So, the five mana card that chooses a permanent type returns all cards of that permanent type from your graveyard to your hand. Flashback seven. This card's insane. It's a lot of value. Let's say you aren't on the reanimation package anymore. Somehow, some way, something happened. Creeping Renaissance returns all the creatures from the graveyard to your hand. You can, at the end of turn, discard down so your graveyard's still full of creatures, but you pick the best ones to keep. You can pick back up. Uh, it's any type of permanent. So this means lands. You can pick back up lands. You can pick up back up enchantments, artifacts, whatever it is. This is a great way to restock or if there's a card you're trying to eye in your graveyard, a great way to get it back. So I think it's great. It's got flashback itself, so it's good for these self-mill strategies, which is just incredibly important. Um, when you're playing self-mill, 
you could play a card like Restock, for example. But the problem with Restock that returns two cards from your graveyard hand for five is that, sure, it returns any cards, but I'm going to mill it. Like, it's uncontrolled mill like Mike really doesn't like. So we need to find a way to even out those scales, make it so our uncontrolled mill is still beneficial to us. And that's where flashback really kicks in. Uh, all right. So those are our top picks. Those are the, decks, the cards that we think really frame the deck and allow us to do the things that we want to do, the very naughty, naughty things. Naughty, We're gonna go naughty. Ahead, naughty. We're going to take a break. You go get your popcorn and coffee and join us back because we are going to be talking about the contested cards, which cards we think the other person really didn't look at too clear, uh, carefully. We've had some hits. Onzerin Runes, Angrath, we've had some duds where we've had no contestants at all. So, so before we leave, we I just did the math, and I believe it's turn 15 that, hey, you, would, that. that you would mill yourself out. But you would actually overmill. Like, you would you would overmill yourself by 11 cards. So and that's if you, if you did nothing two. else. If you played on turn 2 and it sits there for the entire game and you did zero other things... Um, you have zero you, cards yeah, in library. Yeah, and turn 15. Yep. Broken. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you back in a second. So it's time for our fourth segment here, which is contested cards. Mike, we've had our differences, but why you got to pick, pick on my artifacts? This one doesn't fit the fucking deck. It does. Oh. Why don't you tell us what it is and why it fits the deck, but you can't you can't fit it in. Vessel of Endless Rest. When Vessel of Endless Rest, which is an artifact that costs three, when it enters the battlefield, put target card from the graveyard on the bottom of its owner's library. Yep. Add one mana of any color. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you want to put cards back into your graveyard or into what your if... library? You just work to get all those things out. I did, but what if we want to put, like, a combo piece back or something that we're not ready for yet? I thought this card would fill you with joy to remove some of the randomness of random milling. Yeah, I would have put it on the bottom. That's true. Yeah, and you're not going to get it. Well, I mean, you will get it. Yeah, you get it back in your bin by accident. It's like, okay, what if you have zero cards in your library, slam Vessel of Endless Rest, boom, you put your spider spawning right there in the bottom of your library. Only one card. You've tutored effectively using Vessel of Endless Rest. <laughs> <laughs> you're fucking... You're fucked. Sell ice to an Eskimo, baby. <laughs> Um, I feel you though. I get, it. I get it. This card is not. It was definitely not the highest on my list. I'm like, man, I really need to pull it, put some more cards in here that that like ramp because this costs a lot of mana to do all these things. And then and then I looked and I was still on the MTG Vault like search engine that I was still searching for card graveyard library and yeah. I saw Vessel of Endless Rest. I'm like, mm, <laughs> that ramps. Okay, so if I were you, this is what I would have done. I would have taken Altar of or Vessel of Endless Rest out and replaced it with Altar of Dementia. I looked at Altar of Dementia, and it was a consideration, but because 
your beautiful voice wasn't in my head at the time, I didn't do it. You're running Undead Alchemist in the deck, which is if a zombie card would you control would deal combat damage to a player, instead that player puts... Broke that. our rule! Your what, rule. What rule? You say, the rule, you're like, don't if you have one, you have to put the other in. Yeah, you broke the rule. I did. See, look at this. Even even someone like me, someone who makes 77% con- 77% competitive decks can't can't remember the rules. Yeah. And Anyways, re- let me let me finish reading it because this is the important part. Whenever a creature is put into an opponent's graveyard from his or her library, exile that card and put a 2/2 black zombie creature token onto the battlefield. Now, you don't have you've got two zombies in this deck. Mm-hmm. This is not very many, except for you do also run, and this was like going to be another contested card, but I didn't. Um, what's that one I fucking hate? Empty the pits. You like this card? I I did, but now I don't. Like I liked it for the one deck, and now I'm not too sure about it for this one. What do you but mean? I mean it's even better in this deck. So if you had Altar of Dementia, out, and you go Undead Alchemist. You make a bunch of zombies, hit your opponents, get a bunch more zombies, and then you can just mill yourself, mill your opponents. Who gives a shit? It's just everybody gets the mill, though. You disgust me. Empty the pits is great. You know it. In this deck, oh, you mill yeah. your whole library. At the end of one unsuspecting idiot's turn, you pay four black, exile like your entire graveyard, and make I f- I a feel billion like, dudes. I feel like us running the Vessel of Endless Rest, that makes us the idiot. If we had put in Altar of Dementia, then the other guys can be idiots. All right, let's talk about idiocy when looking at this next card, my contested card. Mike, I would like to know why Curse of Misfortunes finds itself amidst cards like Anavolver and Cephalid Vandal. I'm I'm honestly surprised this is what your contested card is. I am. I hate this card. So, okay, let me explain this card. Costs five mana, four and a black. Not even a cheap. It's an aura curse. Oh, we have a theme. Aura curses, right? Yeah. No. And she yeah. player. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may search your library for a curse card that doesn't have the same name as a curse attached to enchanted player. Put it onto the battlefield attached to that player, then shuffle the library. So obviously, we're going to put this on ourselves. Uh, the first turn, we're going to grab Crystal Buddy Tome. The second turn, we're going to grab... What do, what do we grab next? We grab what? What what what's the curse we grab next? You don't need to grab another curse. Wait, I don't see any more curses. I only see curse of bloody tome. Am I missing something? Yeah, that's all you need. Are that's there only the... two curses in this deck? And you put curse of misfortunes as one of the curses? Yeah, it's the curse that searches out the other curse. So you're paying five mana to tutor curse of the bloody tome on yourself. Okay, let five. me ask you a question. Let's say we were gonna use diabolic tutor. Yeah. No, let's not even say that. Let's say we're going to use Demonic Tutor. Okay, yeah. Okay. Demonic Tutor costing one black and one colorless. Mm-hmm. And it searches for any card in your deck and puts Anyone. it on. Uh, no, it doesn't. It puts it into your hand. No, any card. It searches for any card, though, right? Yeah, it searches for any card. puts it in your hand. Got okay. It. Well, we want to search up Curse of the Bloody Tome. Because that's, every single time. That's the feature card in this deck. Every Every time. Hey, you know what? I build the decks around the feature cards. Not you. You build them around these bullshit combos. You're the asshole here. 
So anyways, but let's get back to my, my thing. You would pay one black and one colorless to, to cast Demonic Tutor. Get that curse, put it in your hand. Then you would pay one blue, two colorless, cast Curse of the Bloody Tome on yourself, right? Yeah. Okay. That is a total of five mana. One blue, one black, three generic. If we use Curse of this Misfortunes, we cast it, cost one black and four colorless. So again, five generic mana. Boom. Yeah. And it saves you a blue. So what I'm hearing is that at the cost, the heavy cost of one blue mana, sometimes, I also can search up any other card. You know what? If you're going to make it sound like that, then yeah, maybe the other way is better. But I like my way better because it's cooler. Okay, well, you enjoy your way. How how dare you put your contested card of Vessel of Endless Rest when you put Curse of Misfortune in your deck? I hate you. All I right. You should give your head a shake. Because I'm moving. It's, it's got a way cool idea. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. I'm moving brain aneurysm. I can't can't listen to this anymore. All right. So, I think there's also something we have to mention about this competitive percentage. This is fucking hilarious. Because, okay, so I, I, okay, what we did was Mike put together a deck list, and he's like, hey, here, take this. And I didn't do, do the whole deck put, list. I did most of the deck list. You did okay. Just, you did ele- You put eleven curses and like six cards. Okay. <laughs> you put yeah, a couple yeah. cards together, and you said, "I I've built some stuff for the deck." And I said, "Sure, I'm building my version real quick. I'll get it eventually." And I get that version done, and I and I put it on on tapped out, and he takes a look at it, and he's he's offended because I have taken what, out all of his cards. Fun. All of his cards, including Curse of Misfortunes, out of the deck. They're gone. I was sad. I left like three cards. But when I gave him the deck, the deck was at 77% competitive. And I say, feel free to do whatever you want. And he's like, sure. And I come back like an hour later and the deck has lost 20% competitive points. (laughs) I feel like that could have all happened strictly because of Curse of Misfortunes. 20% Uh, 20% right there. Maybe that's 19%. I thought it was kind of funny because I saw that it was at 77%. And then I thought, how the fuck can it be this high when I've just done these things to it? And then I just thought, ah, whatever, tapped out. You're crazy. Uh, But But I've done all these things to it. Look at the way he talks (laughs) about what he did. How, How can it still be a 10 on the beauty scale when I just cut its face up like this? Yeah. And then the worst part is, I think the part that makes me the saddest is you made the deck more expensive. Only a little bit. The deck was $40.19 and you made the deck $41.04 and 20% less competitive. <laughs> Strong. Yeah. Anyway, so the deck is 41.04 if you want to purchase the whole thing now. Even with Curse of Misfortunes, I recommend this deck. I think this deck is sweet. That's not bad. He won't, He's just saying that because a lot of the cards he wanted originally didn't get put in. Curse of Misfortunes by Hell or High Water made it in. All right. Are you ready for the upgrades? Yeah. I think that you should leave Curse of Misfortunes in. I mean, you know, to each their own. Hey, 
Maybe it is good. You could put some more curses in. I actually think if you chuck a couple more curses in here, it wouldn't be too bad. Yeah, I agree. There's some of the curses are pretty okay. And some of the curses you, are really good. Like if you if you put that in there and you have some of those other curses in the, in the deck, you do have a second backup plan just in case things go awry. Sure. I think there's one curse that kills them if they have a certain number of curses on them or something. No, there's one that gives them, um, they lose a life for each curse on them. Oh, that's time. the one. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's talk about those upgrades. We are playing 2DH, so every single card in the deck is $2 or less, except for the commander, who is $5 or less. This, uh, this is the part where we just basically say, when you do play full power, if you want to take one of these decks and upgrade the power level of them, make them a little bit more competitive, this is where you're going to want to look. These are our opinions on what you could upgrade. Feel free to use what you have at your disposal. Maybe you've got, you know, all of the dual lands and all the moxes at your hands, and your table allows moxes. Do whatever was required for your table, but this is what we would do if we could upgrade it. Mike, why don't you lead us off with a card that you have very boldly exclaimed. The Gitrog Monster. Um, Gitrog Monster, if you're not familiar with this beast, he's a 6-6 uh, six, six with Death Touch. For a black, a green, and three colorless. And he's from Shadows over Innistrad. Um, but that's not the coolness. The coolness is that at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice this guy unless you sacrifice a land. You can play an additional land on each of your turns. And whenever one or more lands are put into your graveyard from anywhere, draw a card. Well, this guy... This guy works with all of our self-mill. Because we're putting lands in the graveyard, we're going to be drawing a ton of cards. Yep. Like, just a ton. So, right off the hop, yeah, this guy should go in the deck. Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely one of those cards that really changed the way that you, know, you play the deck. We're talking about how crazy Villas is. A card like Gitrog in play kind of changes your perspective on the deck. Now, instead of trying to do, you know, big mills all the time, you might want to do smaller mills every once in a while, and you're going to be drawing a lot more cards. So, maybe not every one of those cards draws is dredged, and you can start playing the deck onto the table instead of into the graveyard it's a card so strong that it can change the dynamic of a deck so if you've got get rog out and seven cards in your hand or eight cards in your hand don't cast anything if you've got dakmore salvage in your hand and you've got eight cards in hand don't cast anything end your turn because during your cleanup step you have to discard down to seven mm -hmm. i was gonna say six for some reason you have to discard down to seven dump Dakmore Salvage. That's going to draw you a card for Dakmore hitting the graveyard, and you might mill another land. That's going to draw you a card too. So now you're going to replace one of those draws with returning Dakmore to your hand. Dredge again. Continue to do this. You can sculpt your entire hand of seven cards. You finish your turn with seven cards, whatever seven cards in your hand that you want. You can mill your entire deck. Yep. If you've got Jace out, you can just win on your end step. Yep. Um, it's, yeah. It's the backbone to the Gitrog deck, right? You've got... The reason why Gitrog Monster is considered one of the more competitive CEDH commanders, that's probably, like, just tier, like just top of tier two, is because of this. Is that... Sure, it's not in the most optimal colors, but it is a single-card combo that says, as long as you have your commander out, and you don't even have to play deck more salvage. You don't have to play it. You just have to have it at some point, and it has to be discarded. 
So if you can do that, it is a really weird rules interaction. I remember when this rules interaction came out and the judges didn't know what to do about it. There was like rulings that were going back and forth until they finally settled upon one, which is delayed end step triggers cause a new end step. So you they, they it goes to the new, or sorry, causes that like part of the end step to trigger again. So delayed triggers just keep making that same thing happen over and over again. Um, oh. So yeah, uh, my upgrade is a card that unfortunately, and it broke my heart. I remember telling you, Mike, about one of the when I was thinking about this deck, I included this card as one of the combo pieces, and that was Laboratory Maniac. Laboratory Maniac used to be, uh, and, and unfortunately isn't anymore. It used to be about dollar uh, ninety. It is now three dollars and thirty six cents. Even with its printing at Uncommon and Ultimate Masters, it is still expensive a little expensive for 2dh so can't play it but laboratory maniac costs two and a blue for a two two if you would draw a card and your library is empty instead you win the game this is the best way to end the game it is better than jace because it can be reanimated uh, so you're going to want to play this over jace if possible and as long as you're not playing at a 2dh table i see no reason why not to switch them out i think laboratory maniac will be easier to find for most people anyways because jace is heavily played in in like weird modern decks so lab maniac i would more than recommend to put in there it's only three bucks it's a dollar but it is too high for us and we're going to stick to the rules that we set for ourselves yeah i was actually i I don't know it's kind of weird because when jace came out there was all this talk about how jace was the new laboratory maniac blah 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 and now the tables have turned and jace is cheaper than this well yeah it's one when Jace came out, there was a modern deck that played um, a five-mana artifact that said, exile your library, then choose five cards, and that becomes your new library from the exiled cards, but it says choose up to five. So what they do is they play Jace on turn four, they play that artifact on turn five, crack the artifact, exiling their library, and they choose no cards to put back in their library, then they plus one Jason win. Nice. So that that was like the combo deck for a little while, but that I don't I think that fell out of favor. That was the Blue Moon combo deck, um, but I think that fell out of favor. So Laboratory Maniac regains its its title as the expensive card. It is a now a two of a kind effect, interestingly, but it's a creature which is a huge boon to a lot of decks. Those are upgrades. That's the deck price, and that is the competitiveness of this deck. We're gonna take another break. You guys take a break at home as well, and. Get yourself, you know, a refill on that coffee, whatever it is, because up next, we're going to be going into uh, the, some might call it angry time, I call it misunderstood time. Welcome back. Uh, it's time for J-Rock's uh, Misunderstood Time. It's not, yeah, you're misunderstood. It is. That's what it is. It's not that I'm upset. It's that I'm misunderstood. This one's about a rule that was taken out. I don't even know when. It feels like too long ago that my spell crumples have been turned to garbage. Hinder. And that is the tuck rule. Uh, Wizards took the tuck rule out of commander for 
I don't well, know. Stop, 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 hey, stop. Hey, you stop. stop. I do need you to stop here. It's like legit. Was not Wizards that did this. This was the RC. Well, hate the RC because of the tuck rule. I would love them if they were if they undid this. I just want to make sure that when we're when we're throwing around wild accusations, we're throwing them at the right people. Even if they're not correct, we want to make sure that they're aimed ill ill uh, ill will is aimed at the right people. That's right. So the tuck rule, what it used to be, and why it's called the tuck rule, is that a general. For those of you who are newer, a general who was put into a library was put into a library. They they went there and they stayed there. And the reason for this is that if someone spell crumpled your general, which puts a card to the bottom of a library, or if someone condemned one of your creatures or a plethora of other things that put something into a library, it would take a, your general... And now you wouldn't have that general anymore. You have to tutor them up or draw them naturally or whatever. Now the rule says if your commander changes zones, you can put them back into the command zone. I don't actually know why the tuck rule changed. Because now generals like Derevi, Talrand, Krenko, all of these generals are super broken because you can't get rid of them. Yeah, you just killed Derevi. Or not Derevi, um... Talrand or Krenko. Fantastic. The whole deck is centered around them. Without them, the deck is useless. I'm just going to replay my Talrand. And the Talrand deck, especially a deck that's just basically mono counter spells and draw spells, is going to definitely have an answer for the second time you try to do it. So I feel like if you get the player, if someone gets greedy and attacks with Krenko for some reason, you should be able to condemn him and put him in the bottom of the library so that you can't use him anymore. Um, I don't know why they got rid of the tuck rule. It feels like those super powerful, like Maelstrom Wanderers and Animars and Nekusars, all of these super deck-defining generals, they're super deck-defining, and now you can't ever get rid of them. You can't Rift-sweeper them back into a graveyard if they've been exiled under an Oblivion Ring or whatever. You can't, like, get someone. Instead, it's Wizards... Not Wizards, sorry, RC holding the hands of these players saying, all right, I know you're already the most broken commanders out there, and I get it. You don't like it when people have counterplay. What we're going to do is we're going to take that completely off the table for everyone. So now, your most your super broken commanders, you get to keep those bad boys forever. And that commander tax, that's basically irrelevant on a lot of these super high-powered decks because they generate so much mana anyways, now they just don't care. There used to be a way to beat Prosh, Right? You can easily beat Prosh by spell crumpling it, and now the CEDH deck built around Prosh doesn't work. Now the deck doesn't care about that. So, I don't understand the tuck rule, and I'm going to invite you into my world right now, Mike. Do you get the tuck rule? Do you know where this came from? Yeah. And why they took it away? I do. Um, so they took it away because it, they felt that it engendered the feel-bads. And if you've built your whole deck around your commander... So let's say you built uh, Urinal the Piss Stalker. You know him? Yep. Yeah, so Urinal gets uh, plus two, plus two for each attachment, or each, uh, uh, what's it called? Enchantment that's stuck on him. And so people would build him as like a Voltron-y kind of guy. And But the problem is, is that when, when he gets put in the bottom of your library, now you're stuck with a handful of enchantments and nobody to stick them on. 
So the RC is big on making sure that everyone who plays gets to have fun. Yeah, but okay. So I have a problem with that though because their commander in itself prevents certain strategies. So for example, you can't play burn in commander as you would traditionally play it. You're not going to be playing lightning bolts and shots and stuff to try to get your opponent down because we have 40 life for a reason. So they're already preventing that style of gameplay, right? So to say, well, there is a risk to building your deck and certain game plans have to be really airtight in order to work, like Uriel the Miststalker. In order to do something like that, you need to be careful. But now there's no defending against it, right? I think there should be some ounce of danger when you're purely building around your commander. You should have to play with those other 99 cards too. I don't think EDH is a format about a commander. I think it's a format about how one commander and 99 cards work in harmony with each other. So to say, well, I'm just going to play Azur the Enchanter deck and grab Necropotence and try to storm off every single game because no one can ever take Azur away from me. I think that kind of sucks, and it's okay to have it, you know, to have the feels bad of oh, the Uriel deck that's super strong because it's built around a card they always have access to, and every other card is just a good card that can work with him. Because his power level is always going to be so high because of that fact, I think having some way to mitigate that isn't a bad idea. Maybe that's just me though. Uh, I don't think it's just you, but it's it is what it is. Anyway, that's my complaint. I really wish that the tuck rule was still in play. I don't understand it. I also don't understand partial Paris being like the standard mulligan. I don't get that, but I guess I'll not complain about that one because I don't think anyone plays by that rule. At least no one I know. Um, you mulligan until you get something decent. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. The tuck rule felt so good to me. I've gotten my general tucked a bunch of times. I've played Omnath, Mono Green Omnath all built around him and had gotten tucked and I hated it, but I got it. I understood that that's, that's the risk. And man, it really killed cards. The, when the tuck rule was, was killed. When's the last time you've seen a spell crumple? Oh, you don't. I bought yeah. a bunch of hinders just because I was tucking people all the time. Cards go like those cards are gone. Condemned gone. Yeah. All those cards are just finished from, from the format, which I think sucks. So, and especially, especially since spell crumple was printed in commander Commander products. I just, anyway, I, I think that sucks. That's just me. Agree, not agree, whatever. But that's that's my plea. RC, give us back the tuck rule, please. We need it. Uh, all right. We're actually going to go right into our next segment here. You guys have gotten plenty of, plenty of coffee. You've taken plenty of breaks. It's time for what everyone's been waiting for. I'm not going to keep you on the edge of your seat. Um, actually, you know what? Sorry. We have one thing to do before that. So we are actually going to give you a break because we have something else that we're going to be sharing with you in a second. And I forgot about it. I have to get the notes on it. My bad. I have to poo. Jacob's just being polite, but I have to poo. Okay. Sorry about that. We're going to take a break. We are back from whatever we were doing. 
Don't worry about it. Um, like I, I was pooing. I mean, hey, I'm trying to keep. I'm trying. I'm trying to keep it clean for the kids. That was not a clean poo. <laughs> Gross. Uh, all right. So I think it's time to uh, to spin up the the back computer and also spin the wheel to see what we get for next week. Remember though. Uh, that next week will be our uh, our video. We're going to do the showdown of these four decks. We're going to have our uh, friends come in, see which deck reigns supreme, see which deck uh, mills themselves the best. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I do. I know what you mean. I'm just not going to... Uh, you know what I mean? Shut up. Stop saying it like that. It's weird. All right. It's time. Are you Are you ready, Bad Mike? Yes, I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Our first card is... is oh, it's a Planeswalker. Is it? What is it? Yeah, Which we one? have Chandra. One of the many Chandras. This is the novice pyromancer. She's not really good at pyromancing yet. She's trying her best. She's doing her best. She's, got, she's on fire right now. She's smiling about it. And she's from M20. She's one red and three for her legendary Planeswalker Chandra. Her plus one is Elementals you control. Get plus two, plus O until end of turn. Her minus one is add two red to your mana pool. Okay. And her minus two is Chandra deals two damage to any target. Hmm. Seems, seems decent. Elementals related. Oh, yeah, elementals are quite common in red. Quite common in red. I think we could definitely do some some big stuff. We also have that double red ability, which is going to be nice. She kind of pays for herself a little bit. You can put young pyromancer in here, and then the young pyromancer and the novice pyromancer could have a romancer. A good old, a good old romancer. Yeah, no, I think this is definitely an interesting one. I think this is going to be a nice build-around start, especially since it's Planeswalker. It doesn't have an ultimate ability, um, which is an interesting kind of way that these cards are now designed, but I'm for it. I think this is interesting, and I'm I'm ready to see. I assume the next deck's going to have some elementals in it. That fucking better. All right. Are you ready to spin the wheel? Are you ready for to make the sound effect of me spinning the wheel? I'm, I'm the wheel spinner. What? I, I spin... Or you spin it, I, I make the sound effect. Of course. I'm, yeah. I'm the one who does the hand motion. Are you doing the hand motion? Yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. Spin the wheel. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Spinning. Yeah. Oh, shit. The wheel fell off the <laughs> thing. I spun the wheel so good. Uh, while you're dealing with whatever sound that is, uh, I got an interesting one from 8th edition, originally from portal apparently it is balance of power and they could not have drawn this card in a more on the nose way it is a pair of dudes with power on scales for three and double blue so five in total you get a sorcery that says if target opponent controls more cards in hand than you draw cards equal the difference to empty your mind is to fill your grave latinam teaching okay probably gonna want some cheap cards Chandra's mana ramp maybe helps us power out some cheap cards and balance the power to draw some cards. Could be. Could maybe be. we, you know, maybe maybe we just play on the fact that other decks like to draw a lot of cards, and maybe we're not super interested in doing a lot of our own drawing, and then we just refill. I don't know. That works. 
It's like a yeah. it's like one sided wheel of fortune. Yeah, it's like a, a weird wheel of fortune. It's like a balance of power. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last but not least, are you ready for the last card? Give a shit, Rogan. Let's do this. Ooh, we have an oldie but a goldie. Oh yeah. This is from Urza Saga, so that you can tell it's good. Well, you ready? I'm ready. Academy researchers, two blue, one colorless for a two-two. Human wizard, which you have repeatedly said in this show, that is the best. The it best, is. Uh, yeah, it's it's good, but it's not the best. Anyway, so when this motherfucker enters the battlefield, you may put an aura card from your hand onto the battlefield attached to Academy researchers. Hmm. I think we need to put some big auras in here. Probably. So we're looking at elementals, auras, and playing things quickly, eh? Yeah, that sounds really bad. Mm, this is gonna be a tough one. Yeah. On the plus side, we're two colors. Yeah, and we've got two weeks to do it, so... That's true. Yes. So we're gonna come up with something. Yay. I don't know. Anyway... Uh, those are our cards. That's when we'll be building next week. Make sure to check out the video and watch all, uh, listen to all of the episodes beforehand so you know what's going down. Other than that, Big Mike, you got anything to say to the people before we let them go? Um, yes, I do. We've had some troubles with YouTube. We said that earlier in the show. So if this podcast sounds like shit, I apologize in advance. We're doing our best. We will get we're, that fixed. We're going to work on getting it fixed. Um... Also, uh, the video, we should be recording it next week. we got to make sure that everybody's on board and free because it is the summertime, so that might get delayed a little bit, but it shouldn't. And I think that might be everything. All right. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Uh, until next time, thank you for listening in. And remember, join us in next week as we try and Master Commander. Three cards at a time.